Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This evening we're going to be in 2 Kings 17. And the last time we looked at the tragedy of King Ahaz, what a tragic life he led. And today the title is Israel Loses Her Sovereignty. (sighs) You know, there's a lot of ministries that, whether it's during the week or the weekend, all they do is kind of come up with these positive messages. And, you know, I have more and more people coming to me and really desiring to know their Bible more. And, you know, you can go to a place for 20, 30 years. Honestly, if you, if you haven't gone through half of the Bible, you're in the wrong place. You know, so it's more pressure on us to teach these messages that are somewhat on the negative side, but I always try to be optimistic and find the silver lining. And in that, I would say that I think a lot of us, I can start with myself, can, you know, I was never a king. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be one. But I had a life that was filled with tragedy when I didn't know the Lord, just the way it was. Um, and now that I know the Lord, things, there's peace, there's balance, you know, a lot of really neat stuff. So if nothing else, we can look at the scripture and look at the lives that these people led, look at history. And I think most tragically, look at those that were in the fellowship of believers and, you know, just kind of drifted and learned some lessons from this, if nothing else, what not to do. So we're going to look at this in seven short parts, and starting with verse 1. It says, In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hoshea, the son of Elah, became king of Israel in Samaria, and he reigned nine years. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as the kings of Israel who were before him. So one is the spiritual evaluation of Hoshea, the king of the north, but it says that he, was, he did evil, but not quite as bad as the other kings of Israel. You know, and I think sometimes when we're, when we're not saved, you know, we'll look at the worst of society and say, well, I'm not as bad as them. But in, when you look at the scripture, there are degrees of evil, period. There are. Um, however, any sin will separate us from God for eternity. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what's the solution? Well, the solution is the Savior, Jesus Christ. He came to fix everyone's problems as far as the sin curse and the thing that separates us from God. But just look, looking at this on a temporal uh, scale, there was, uh, if you look at the, it's funny because our jurisprudence system, a lot of it comes from the scripture, right? If you stole a loaf of bread or you killed five people, there's going to be a different form of punishment as there should be. And the original law that was given to the people by Moses had a lot of those similar penalties. You know, if it was something minor, it would be minor. You know, the punishment needs to fit the crime, so to speak. However, Jesus said for those that, and we do get frustrated when we see the, somebody hurt a child, when we read about it in the news, and we see it every so often. It's disturbing. But Jesus said, be better for that person to hang a millstone around their neck and jump into the sea than to hurt one of those little ones meaning that in the judgment, it's going to be a heavy degree of punishment. So these are some interesting things to look at. But 
He was an ungodly man who assassinated the king, takes the throne, and he's not considered the worst. (laughs) It's almost as if some were vying for the worst type of, of evil. But no matter how evil the person is, again, God doesn't grade on a curve. That's why he sent us a savior. Unfortunately, a lot of the people we read about, whether it was Ahaz last time or Hosea this time, they didn't turn to God. They, it seems like they died in that state, which is tragic. Verse 3, continuing on, it says, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against him, and Hosea became his vassal and paid him tribute money. And the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, for he had sent messengers to so king of Egypt, and brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore, the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. So too is the imprisonment of Hosea. So here's the arrangement. We could put up the map. Actually, we'll go with the map, and then we'll go with the kings of of Egypt. But basically, what would happen is if, uh, and this was what was going on, all these power, power struggles back then, here was the Assyrians, and they pretty much made everybody's life miserable. The Babylonians down here, who were weak at the time. Um, if you look at over here in Syria, uh, Syrian issue, they conquered them. They conquered the Israelites. They conquered um, the southern kingdom. So when they conquered a kingdom, here was the arrangement. If we don't annihilate you, but you have to give us gold and silver, pay us tribute. That was called being a vassal state. So Syria was a vassal, um, Israel was a vassal, and Hosea decides he's going to make an alliance over here with the Egyptians. And the Egyptians, if you read the, the dynasties, if you read the, the pharaohs, the, the history, you know, they were up and down, up and down, like a lot of different kingdoms. So uh, what happens is Hosea, the king here, decides to team up with Egypt, and they're going to resist the Assyrians which wasn't a really smart thing to do. And it doesn't go very well. Um, the Assyrians, again, are dominant. They're strong. They en- ended up just uncovering the plot, and they uh, take Hosea and imprison him. Um, but here's the thing. The thing is this alliances keep coming up. And we're covering this on Sunday. We're covering this on Wednesday. All these guys had to do, and all the nation had to do, was repent and turn to the living God. I know it sounds like an oversimplification, but that's really what God set out, set out in his arrangement with the people, and they didn't do it. So when you're, when you're not trusting in God and you're not aligning yourself with God, well, what's left? The world system. Egypt, you know, the, the Philistines, this one, that one. Um, so it was really a sad situation. And I'm going to tell you something. Today, even as Christians, you know, sometimes Christians try to make these alliances. They try to get this person for physical protection and that person for financial stability. And it's okay to do business in the world, but it isn't okay for you now to stop relying on God and rely on all these earthly kingdoms. Okay, so, I mean, listen, 2,700 years ago it was written, uh, and there's still a lot of uh, applications for today. If we could put up the kings of Israel and, and Judah. So basically what's going on over here is Hosea is the last king. And these kings, a little bit like down by the bottom, kind of were flirting with rebelling against Assyria. Assyria eventually takes them out, and uh, there's no more Israel. It's g- geographically, it's there, but I'll talk about the expatriation as well. Whereas Judah, uh, Ahaz, we're about at the time of Ahaz, 
he ends up dying. And Hezekiah takes place. And there's some good kings left in the southern kingdom. We'll check that out as well. So there's a lot going on here. But Hosea, going back to Hosea of Israel, you know, it was kind of like those things. You live by the sword, you die by the sword. That maxim. Um, and, you know, he assassinates the last king, Pekah. Not to be confused with Pikachu, which everybody's talking about today, but Pekah and Pekahiah, and they had all these weird, weird names. But uh, Tiglath-Peleser dies, Shalmaneser takes the throne in Assyria, and some of the vassal states decide, hey, uh, maybe we should test a new guy. And that's what they did. Unfortunately, if the new guy was really intense, um, he was going to put you in your place, and that was what's happening here. Uh, so could have been a reference to Sais in Egypt, uh, or short for the, a particular pharaoh at the time, uh, his name was Osorkan, um, and at the time, Egypt had different districts. There was sometimes that, in, in, and this is all history, that the pharaohs just ruled everything, and then there were times in Egypt's history where they were, they were all friendly with each other, but they divided up. It was like kind of a regionalization plan in, in, uh, in Egypt. So everything the Bible says is true, obviously. We continue on with verse 5. And we're, we get through the nuts and bolts and the geography and the wars and stuff, and then we kind of get into the heart of the matter, the spiritual issues, which are really the most important. 5 and 6, it says, Now the king of Assyria went throughout all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria took Samaria, which was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel, and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Halah by the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the city of the Medes. So three out of seven is the captivity of Samaria. And, and, and you know, there's this siege, and this is what happens. You, your capital cities back then, again, they didn't have planes and, you know, really uh, fine-tuned artillery, so your best defense was to wall the city and then get guys on the top and have them fight anybody who tries to invade. So if you were really determined, you could, you know, wait it out, try to cut off the supply lines, and sit outside the city and attack it and attack it. And I'll tell you what, it took three years, 722 to 724 to 721 B.C., and eventually Samaria in the north was taken uh, by the successive uh, Assyrian kings. And what, is, what happens? Israel loses her sovereignty. So now she's not even a vassal anymore. Now the capital city is taken, and there's this uh, expatriation campaign. No Geneva Convention, it's not like wars today, uh, but the policy was to dilute the rebels, to dilute nationalism, ethnicity, religion. They were just out there to win. So they would take a lot of the uh, Israelites and deport them or expatriate them to the Assyrian kingdom, and they would take their people and put them in Israel's territory, kind of as spies as well, but just to make sure that there's no problems. And basically they ran that country. Um, anyway, if you go back far enough in wars, you can find a lot of this stuff uh, happen. Now, here's what's interesting. In the time of Jesus, there was so much dilution of the Jewish people. The Samaritans by the south, the Samaritans in the north were considered just too dilute. They had pagan practices. They weren't 100% Jewish. It actually caused, you could say, a, a racism kind of thing that went on. Um, you know, and there was this, this back and forth arguments. And it was so cool how Jesus came into those situations and he was able to make peace. And, you know, he just, Jesus could do anything. But <laughs> and he, the woman at the well and all that kind of stuff, really neat. Uh, so the places listed, I looked them up. Halah, Habor, River of Gozan, the city of, of the Medes, 
Uh, and basically, that's uh, Mesopotamian territory, that's Assyrian territory. Now, have you ever heard of the lost tribes of Israel? Anybody? Raise your hand. Okay. So, some believe, because there was ten tribes in the north and two tribes in the south, that when they were expatriated and sent to foreign lands, that the Jewish people disappeared. It's actually not true. <laughs> um, and I'll get to that. But there's a guy that, he's, I think he's passed by this time, false doctrine, Herbert Armstrong, and a lot of Christians like listen to his stuff, but um, Armstrongism, British Israelitism, what he says is that the, the Jewish people resurfaced and became England. If you look at the three sons of, of Noah and if you look at anthropology, it doesn't fly. Mormonisms kind of do that stuff with the line of people and their, their lines are confused. Um, when you actually look at science, you find that they're wrong. So the bottom line is that those ten tribes were retained. Now, some of them, when they went to foreign lands, still said, we're Jewish and we're going to practice our faith, which was awesome. The Passover, all that stuff. Some, some of them, when the Assyrians were coming, escaped to the south, okay, and others just relocated prior to this happening. So when we look at the scripture, and this is how you fight false doctrine, you know your word, right? And, and I think it's very important, especially in today's era, with all the misinformation out there and all the the cults and false teachings, that Christians need to know their word. It's not this go along to get along. I mean, I get along with a lot of people, but I also can't tolerate false doctrine, can't do it. Uh, but if you, you, what you find in Revelation 7, and this is our future, future time on this earth, that the Lord separates the tribes on the earth, right? And the, there's the Benjaminites, and there's the, the Issacharites, and the Danites, and all those tribes... He brings them together and they start witnessing. You know, they become these Jewish evangelists. So if they were lost, then how does God kind of bring them together and find them on the earth? So again, it's false doctrine. But we'll continue on. And this is really where the causes of the captivity come in. So what happened? Why did this happen? What went wrong? Well, let's jump in in verse 7. So we, we uh, split from the kind of the precursor to the spiritual end of it. It says, so... It was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God who had brought them up out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods, false gods, and had walked in the statutes of the nations whom the Lord cast out from before the children of Israel and of the kings of Israel which they had made. Also the children of Israel secretly did against the Lord their God things that were not right, and they built for themselves high places in all the cities, from watchtower to fortified city, they set up for themselves sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places, as the nations had done whom the Lord had carried away before them. And they did wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols, of which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and against Judah, by all his prophets, namely every, every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffen their necks like the necks of their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God, and they rejected his statutes and his covenant and he had made, that he had made with their fathers and his testimonies which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were around them concerning whom the Lord 
had charged them that they should not do like them. And so they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves, and made a wooden image and worshipped the host of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire. It was an abhorrent practice to their children. Practiced witchcraft and soothsaying and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. And there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone in the south. So four out of seven is the causes of the captivity. Why did this happen? Why did all these horrible things happen? You know, Jeremiah was one of the writers of, of Second Kings, very compassionate. They considered him the weeping prophet. But sometimes when there's just so much evil that's practiced that God just has to deal with it. So if we look at some of these reasons and I break them down, number one, the Israelites sinned against God. Well, all of mankind has sinned against God and do it on a daily basis, including Christians. So that was just the beginning. Two, the Israelites turned from God's statutes and his laws and began turning to pagan worshipers and their statutes and their laws and worshiping false gods. Now, I see the United States and I'm shocked that some federal judges in some states have entertained Sharia law, which is an abhorrent practice. It's anti-women. It's um, you know, it's, it's cruel, uh, but, you know, it's, we're becoming kind of like this coexist society, and I think it's very dangerous. We're flirting with things we shouldn't be flirting with, you know? Um, listen, not all the founding fathers were solid Christians, but the majority of them had a belief in God and Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, America has had a lot of sins, and America has been good about seeing her sins and repenting those of sins and making things right. You know, a lot of the things that we, we said was wrong, like slavery, there's still going on across the seas, and people are turning a blind eye to it. So, you know, it really has to do with your belief system. What do you believe? All right? Sharia law, abuse of women, slavery is okay, not good. Three, the Israelites built monuments, altars to foreign gods, worshipped them. Um, they had little demonic idols that they would worship. Four, God sent prophets to warn the Israelites and what did the Israelites do a lot of times? They rejected the prophets. They ignored them. Sometimes they beat them up. Sometimes they imprisoned them. So God in his mercy is saying to his people, you, you can't do this. You know, this is really, it's really bad. It's going to separate us and it's going to cause calamity for you. And he kept trying to, God is a, a very loving God. Five, um, again, they made these little idols and they bowed down to them. Six, so I, I'm, I'm careful sometimes what I say from the pulpit because I don't want it to come off. I don't want to be a shocking, you know, I want it to be a sermon. But they did practices, the Israelites, God's people, and they harmed their children for the sake of these false idols they were worshiping. Child abuse, a lot of bad things started to happen. And it's, listen, I didn't write this. It's right here in the prophet's writings and the historical works and secular history. After a while, you couldn't tell the difference between God's people and the pagans. You know, and uh, yeah. God had conditional and unconditional promises. God's love is always unconditional. Let's start with that. God never says, I'm not going to love you. He's always going to love us. Um, he loves sinners. He loves people. However, but there were conditional promises, right? So God's love is unconditional. Put that aside. But God has promises that are conditional with the children of Israel to stay in the land and be prosperous. 
and the conditions were to have a relationship with him. Now, God at some point had to, like the term is lift his protective hand when they were doing these abhorrent practices. Uh, they, he could, just couldn't let them continue to do this. The children of Israel was supposed to be a light to the Gentiles and not absorb the spiritual darkness of the Gentiles. And I can't help it, and I, I kind of hesitated, but I'm going to go there. You know, I, I find sometimes in prosperous countries like the United States, faith can really become very diluted, extremely diluted. Well, look, if you look at some of these preachers who preach prosperity all the time, go look, check it out on the TV. 10,000, 50,000, 60,000 person stadium, they're filled. Because those are the false teachers, really a judgment to the prosperous Americans sometimes. And, and you saw this in, in the Bible where God says, you really want that false teacher? Have at it. But this is what's going to be the result of that. And I think, and I don't think I know, that um, sometimes in prosperous nations, Christianity can become very diluted. And you, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference in Christendom. I don't mean the true church. The true church is always just Christians. But Christendom, the Christianity, the cultural Christianity, where people were doing what they were doing. They, were, they don't want to offend God, and they want to worship God, but they also want their idols too. I want my idols of wealth. I want my idols of health, my idols of education, my idols of... And again, are these things bad things? No, not necessarily, but when they're put in front of God, yes, they are. They're idols, and they're false gods. So Billy Graham once said that... Uh, if God doesn't judge America at some point for her sins, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't see God apologizing to anybody because he never makes mistakes, so probably if that's a true statement, the former, the former may happen at some point. But what happened when God removed his protective hands? And he said this right in the Scripture. They all had the Scripture. They could all go anytime and read the Scripture, and it says if you do this and you entertain these demonic practices, there's going to be war. You're going to have war because I just can't, I can't be a part of this. There's going to be famine. God supernaturally made things grow at times, and, and when he had to pull back, there was famine. Loss of protection. These things he promised in his word if they followed it. And I, I'm repeating myself, I know, but sometimes when people listen, even on the, on the online, I, I don't have to defend God because God's perfect. He could do the fine job himself. But... It's very important because people will read it, not understanding the word, and say, well, how could God allow that? Well, here are the reasons why God allowed that, you know. Um, verse 19, we continue on. Also, Judah did not keep the commandments. So this is the southern kingdom with, where Jerusalem is. Did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers, until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the king. So this was way back when this new king came, you know, they broke away from the southern kingdom. Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them. And the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away. They were carried away from their own land to Assyria as it is to this day. So five, what happened? You know, even the southern kingdom was infected 
by what the northern kingdom was doing. <laughs> so, I mean, sometimes today we even see that those who are bad examples or carnal sometimes have a stronger influence on some than, than good people, and that's really a sad thing. Mankind's tendency is towards sin. You know, we, we have to be tight with the Lord. We have to be walking with the Lord. You know, we have to be close to Him. But God apparently was the impetus to the division between the southern and the northern kingdoms. And that's interesting because, again, you can say this, well, He divided the children of Israel. Check this out. By doing that, He gave the southern kingdom, who still had some good kings and still had Jerusalem and still had good priests, he gave them another 150 years more than Israel had. That's a, lot, that's a long time. It's a really long time. So that was actually merciful. And again, it's when we really get the whole counsel of God, we understand these things. You know, listen, Paul Jr. talked about 1 Corinthians, um, was it last Wednesday or the Wednesday before? Uh, and, and about what the Apostle Paul says about carnal Christianity fleshy Christianity, you know, worldly Christianity, and the dangers of it. And it was a, it was a good message. Um, and sometimes Christians have friends that drag them down spiritually, and that's sad. Pulls them down. I had a friend, I had, I had friends, I mean, I still have friends. <laughs> Gotta be careful what you say up here. <laughs> I do have friends. Uh, but I've had friends in the past when I was a new pastor, and when I would get together, they would, it would bring out the worst in me. God tore those relationships apart. And it wasn't pretty, it wasn't pleasant, but, you know, I never say to God, oh, look what you did. Actually, I look back and I go, I know why you did that, because you love me. Because you, you had something for me to do and you didn't want me to stay in that state. So even things that we think look not good or bad, if we really pray about it, we can see the Lord's hand in it. You know, God was like, listen, this is what I called you to do. You can't do because they're doing it. You can't go along with that. And sometimes ministry can be a lonely place because of that very reason. You know, I, I love people. I'm very gregarious. Uh, but there's just times that God puts us in a place with just us and him, especially if he has a purpose for our lives. Verse 24, it says, Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kutha, Ava, Hamath, and from Sepharvaim, and placed them in the city of Samaria, remember which is the capital of the north, instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in its cities. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. So they spoke to the king of Assyria, saying, The nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Therefore, he has sent lions among them, and indeed they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. Then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there and let him teach the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom had, they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. So the sins of the foreigners, six out of eight, is... You know what's amazing? Assyria was, nobody could mess with them. They were the most, you know, people think, oh, the United States were the most powerful, but then there's Russia, and then there's, let me tell you something, when Assyria was a dominant power, there was no balance. They were it. They, you couldn't mess with the Assyrians. However, God had other plans. They were coming into Israel, 
and they were defiling the land. They were bringing their little demons. They were bringing their little practices. And God's like, no problem. He was showing the Assyrians, even though my people are bad examples, I'm still in charge. And he had the king of Assyria, who nobody could say anything to, start to say to himself, I better do some some, I better do something because people are getting eaten by, by lions. And, you know what I'm saying? There's a problem here. You know, the people are probably saying to the king, hey, we're your people. This is a nice place to visit, but I didn't sign up for the safari, the safari you know what I'm saying? Uh, wild kingdom. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it's, just, it's just kind of funny to me how it, it's, it's worded here, but the king finds a priest or some priest, and says, listen, go to Israel, find our people, the Assyrians, and teach them how not to disrespect the God of the land. So what the people couldn't do to the king, God fixed that, and he was able to do that. Now, some people say, you know, well, the king was, or the priest was from Samaria, so, you know, there's all these kind of debates, and I don't want to get into that. I believe the priest did the right thing. He started to teach them, but, but they, weren't, they weren't all listening, and we'll see that. Verse 29, it says, However, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Succoth, Binoth. The men of Cuth made Negral. The men of Hamath made Ashimah. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Sepharvites burned their children in fire to Adremelech and Animalek, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord, and from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high places. They feared the Lord, yet served their own gods, according to the rituals of the nations from which they were carried away. To this day they continue practicing the former rituals. They do not fear the Lord, nor do they follow the statutes or the ordinances or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob whom he named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them. But the Lord who brought you up from this land, from the land of Egypt, with great power and outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and him you shall offer sacrifice. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget nor shall you fear other gods. But the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. The last part is the hopeless condition of mankind that moves towards sin, and that's why Christ sent his son to die for our sin, because we couldn't save ourselves. In a way, if you think about it, you know, and, and people have said this too with the Greeks and the Romans, yeah, they were pagans, but the Roman roads allowed the missionaries and the evangelists to go all over the place. And there were some awesome roads that still stand today. The Greek language, the Koine Greek that the Romans, when they conquered, said, hey, this, this language works. Yes, they had Latin in there, some of their official things, but everybody spoke Koine Greek. So the, Ro- the Romans left a lot of what the Greeks did in place. Here comes first century, you know, Jesus Christ, Christianity. All the things that the pagans did that had set up, the roads, the language was, was great because the gospel spread all over the world. I have friends who were of Indian descent 
and they tell me the, well, it's, it's a fact. They have, you know, stones and different things in India where the, the disciple Thomas um, went, or the apostle Thomas went all the way to India. So it's, it's, you can look at what man does and you, God can say, that's okay, I'll fix that. So you see that the Assyrians take these pagans and, and cram them into Israel. The lions start attacking and the king goes, well, wait, let's get some priests in here to teach us the customs of the Israelites or really to, to worship the true God. So maybe those Assyrians and those Babylonians and stuff would have never known the true God had they not been sent to Israel. And again, it's a hard principle, but it's a biblical principle. Um, sometimes tragedy brings people to the foot of the cross. You know, and the whole thing with the lions, people were like, we don't want to offend God. Now, no, no doubt some people got saved and some people went back to, like it says, worshiping God, or sort of, but still having their little gods. It's an, a very fascinating. Now, you know, it's funny, but you look at the United States, we're becoming a coexist, ecumenical, pluralistic society where we don't want to offend anyone. But what's the truth, right? What's the truth? When you die, what happens? Well, you know, your way, my way. Well, I mean, that's a big gamble. Think about where um, George Washington's been for the last few hundred years. Good or bad, you know what I'm saying? They, we only last 80 years, maybe 90 if you're, 90s if you're blessed, right? Where's, where's Napoleon been <laughs> for, 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 you know, centuries? Where's the Caesars been? Let's keep going backwards, right? Where's Nebuchadnezzar been for almost 3,000 years? What a turn... I, Listen, if it's not a good place, it's not good for all of eternity. You know, it's something that we shouldn't play around with. Now's the time to understand and get to know these things. So you might say, some may say, well, you know, Pastor Joe, you're being very narrow-minded. Okay, when you build a plane and you have to know Bernoulli's principle and Newton's laws, right? Laws of physics and aerodynamics and that kind of stuff. Does it matter who builds the plane and any which way they build the, the airfoil, the landing gear? Anybody want to take that chance? There's one way to build a plane to make it take off, to stay in the air, and then to come down without killing everybody. The same thing with a skyscraper. Well, let's be pluralistic. See, the weird thing is we treat spiritual things, if we treated spiritual things like we treat things that we're very concerned about that can save our lives, what about the surgeon who operates on our heart or our, our lungs? Do we just let anybody open us up? Or do we do a little research? Did you pass those tests in med school? What if they flunked? Well, listen, I really didn't believe everything the teacher taught me in cardiology, you know, or pulmonology. We don't do that. But the world does it with spirituality. When I stand under the speaker, there were engineers who built that trust. If that thing falls right now, I'm dead. One of you guys can take over because I'm out. You know what I'm saying? I'm done. I trusted the engineer who put those trusts up and the guys who installed the speakers up there. So this whole idea about coexisting and pluralism and stuff, it doesn't work in any of the sciences. It doesn't work in anything. But our culture applies it to spiritual things. There's one truth. There's not many truths. There's one truth. God's not confused about his truth or about salvation. You know, it's very important to understand. So we'll leave it at this. Israel loses her sovereignty. Tragic. She had sovereignty, she lost it. God gave her the sovereignty, God gave her the land, God gave her protection. And, um, you know, I don't want to sound condemning because I don't, I'm not condemning, but, you know, here's the funny thing too. Um, the woman at the well, Jesus in John chapter 4, he loved her, that woman got saved, 
she had a really rough lifestyle, but you know somewhere in that conversation she said, well, I believe this, and Jesus told her, I'm paraphrasing, you're wrong. You're worshiping wrong. You're worshiping God completely wrong. At the end, she gets saved and brings the villagers over, and they all get saved. So where do we get this idea as Christians that we just accept any, any belief? Test it. You know, test it to see if it's true. Is this something we can agree with or is this something we cannot agree with? And if we don't, we need to do it in love. And that's the challenge. So at the end of the day, um, you know, I don't think any of us are going to make the horrible decisions that this guy did. But do we know when to stop being stubborn and turn to the Lord and walk by his side and not start drifting and get to the point where we start losing things because we've lost that relationship with him? Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.